Welcome to Yesterday Today, featuring the best of yesterday's radio today. I'm half of your host, McLean Westbrook, alongside Jake Westbrook here. And uh, things are a little different this week. As you'll recall from last week, we've been trapped in this recording studio for eight days now. It has been eight days. Eight whole days with Sydney and Mondo and McLean and myself. The producer, our producer, apparently had an idea where he would somehow generate revenue by locking us in here as like a publicity stunt or a hostage situation. I'm not even sure what his plan was, but yeah, we've been in here for eight days. And if that sounds illegal to you, that's because it is. This is kidnapping. I lost my mind last Wednesday. Well, we know, Sydney. We know. Hey, get it right, you stooge. It's not kidnapping. It's false imprisonment. Whoa, look who's back. Oh, you finally come in to let us out? You grow a heart yet? No, 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 no. I realized that uh, this approach of, uh, you know, locking you guys in here wasn't the best to feed your creative uh, desires in mind. You don't say. Wow. And Who could have seen that one coming, you know? I'm shocked. Knock me over with a feather. And fellas, I've decided to take a new approach to this whole radio business. It's this uh, strategy that I've called uh, selling out. Giving up on your morals, your ethics. Are we going to become a political talk show? Good idea. I'll table that one for later. But no, we're going to completely pander to the local audience to the point where all we do is talk about how great they are and the place they live. What do you mean? Idaho, land of opportunity, the gym state. I've gathered here some vintage radio materials pertaining to the beautiful state that we live in. Just think, the Snake River, Sagebrush, Yellowstone National Park. Wait, you want the theme of today's episode to just be a tribute to Idaho? What, why, didn't, why didn't we just start with that? That seems like a better idea than locking us in a room. Well, you may be right. But it was pretty funny to watch you interact with Sydney on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I was the only one left to talk to. Mondo fell asleep on day two. He's just been snoring in that corner ever since. Kid, I told you not to talk when we were in the same room. Oh, sorry. You just did it again. Yeah. Yeah, Mondo's been asleep over there for like six days. Does anyone want to check on him or... I think he's just hibernating. Isn't there a saying about not poking the bear? Anyway, play those records I gave you. And I'll man the phones and take down all the credit card numbers that uh, eventually will start calling in because of how much they're reminded of the beautiful state that they live in. Okay, here's some vintage songs about the state of Idaho, and once again, I'm compelled to ask why uh, I had to be locked in this building for the last eight days instead of just doing this. Um, but here we go. Can I talk now? No. <laughs> Thank you. 
smiles above the trees in Idaho to say another night is done. Warm summer winds toss the waving grain, calling me back to my home again to dream sweet memories of the long ago. Beyond the hills of Idaho
on my life's desire Cause my heart's been set on fire Since I met that fellow from Pocatello Love those dear hearts and gentle people who live in my hometown because those dear hearts and gentle people will never ever let you down. They read the good book from Friday to Monday. That's how the weekend goes. I've got a dream house I'll build there one day With picket fence and rambling rows I feel so welcome each time that I return That my happy heart keeps laughing like a clown I love the dear hearts and gentle people Who live and love in my hometown there's a place I'd like to go, and it's back in Idaho, where your friendly neighbors smile and say hello. It's a pleasure and a treat to meander down the street. That's why I want the whole wide world to know. I love those dear hearts. I love the dear hearts. I love the gentle people who live in my hometown. Because those dear hearts. Gentle people will never ever let you down. They read the good book from Friday till Monday. That's how the weekend goes. Got a dream, a dreaming dream house. I build it one day with picket fence and rambling roads. I feel so welcome each time that I return. That my happy heart keeps laughing like a clown I love the dear hearts and gentle people Who live in love in my hometown Plum jam and her honey lamb and her gray speckled mare. 
My prize bull and prize mule and prize pickled pear Made an enemy of my true love at the Idaho State Fair Give me I come a tilly I one really I two salvo One cowgirl, one cowboy, and one we two roam Give me O, come a tilly with fiddly and banjo He'll sing neath her window till the cows all come home Idaho Engineer, let's hear that whistle blow To let them know we're on our way to Idaho Hey there, fella Soon we'll be in Pocatello And then Sun Valley According to my Rand McNally Tell the folks back home and shy Tell them to loo goodbye Let's choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo To Idaho What a trip, it's terrific On that Union Pacific What a change from that covered wagon day if those old 49ers had these up-to-date streamliners, they'd commute clear from Butte to Iowa. So hey there, fella, here we go to Pocatello and there's some valley. According to my Rand McNally, tell the folks back home and shy, tell them toodaloo goodbye, let's choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo to Idaho. Uh, pardon me, folks, but if you ain't observed, I'd like to announce that our dinner's served. And glancing at the menu, I'm proud to say the chef is really cooking up a mess today. The four-course dinner is a work of art, and I most highly recommends our a la carte. The dining car is open, and it's straight ahead. The first one there is the first one fed. Now, it's a custom here, though it ain't the rule, that if you bathe, if you wait in the vestibule... And folks on the count of we aims to please We the latest and the greatest in facilities I just got word from the engineer The green light is shining and the track is clear We breaking every record and I ain't surprised Cause she's a mighty locomotive and she's dieselized From east to west, from coast to coast The Union Pacific is a FOMO <laughs> So hey there, Porter, when we pass Nebraska's border, lay my suits out, get my spurs and western boots out, if I'm going west today, might as well go all the way, yippee-i-o, let's choo-choo-choo to Idaho, come on, let's go, let's choo-choo-choo to Idaho, come on, let's go, let's choo-choo-choo to Idaho.
Idaho than any other place I know. Idaho, Idaho. But here I am in Tennessee, and now I wish that I could be in Idaho, Idaho. I'm tired of eating grits. I'm tired of stewed tomatoes. I'd rather be in Idaho eating baked potatoes. If I could raise the fare today, I'd pack up and be on my way to Idaho, Idaho.
go there. When you think the noise is stopping, that's when things begin a popping out and noisy little boys the Idaho. Boy, it's noisy out in Boise. Oh, it's noisy out in Boise, Idaho. Welcome back to Yesterday Today. The hostage situation is ongoing, although there may be light at the end of the tunnel. Are we any closer to hitting our financial goal now that we're pandering to the audience? Will you pipe down back there? I'm trying to order from Subway. I don't know. Well, I was asking you if we were making money. I thought the whole point of this was that we're supposed to be doing this show trapped in here until we start making money. Are we making money yet? The phone lines were open, so I was ordering a Italiano BNT, so pipe down. Can we just get Subway to sponsor us, since you've mentioned them now? What, you think the listeners are gonna hear a sandwich? Oh, you loser. Yes? You're dumber than I thought. Anyway, let's keep this money train rolling, fellas. I, I wasn't aware the money train had even left the station yet. 
Okay, conductor. I think this money you? train derailed a few miles back. Oh, you're both train conductors now. Oh, okay. So why don't you choo-choo-choo on down to Idaho and play the next show for these backwards potato-loving idiots? Was I on air when I said that? Yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to think you don't actually have any affinity towards us Idahoans. As I was saying, I love the beautiful state of Idaho, which, uh... With your potato museum and your, your Coney Island and your Six Flags. And I do love Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Well, anyway. It appears we have a double feature of the anthology series Frontier Fighters uh, from 1935. One episode dealing with the first farmers on the Snake River Plain of Idaho. And the other episode dealing with the founding of Yellowstone National Park. So hopefully this uh, little look into the history of this state will uh, alleviate the blatant state-hating bigotry that the producer is showing towards this great state of Idaho. Well, I moved here from California. Yeah, it, it shows. What's that supposed to mean? Frontier Fighters. Fighters, men and women who broke new trails in the romantic but dangerous Old West. Any tribute which historians of the future will prepare for Idaho must include many chapters dedicated to those men and women who gave so generously of their youth, their hopes, and their dreams. Tribute must be paid to a man who helped tremendously to make Idaho the fertile, prosperous state it is today. Late in the 19th century, Charles Walgamot and his wife Letty were living on the north side of Snake River at Shoshone Falls. One night, after the two had retired, they were awakened by a loud rapping at their cabin door. Charles, wake up, Charles. Yeah? What? Letty, what's the trouble? There's someone at the door, and it's after 10 o'clock. Yeah, I know. Stay here. I'll soon find out who it is. Now, don't go to the door, dear. It's all right. I won't open it wide. Yeah? I'm awfully sorry to wake you up this time of the night, sir, but I had to. Yeah? My name is Bert Kern. I've got about 25 head of cows out here that I've been milking in the Wood River country. 
I need water for them, and I wondered if you'd know of a place in Snake River Canyon where that many cattle could winter. Well, you'd better get them to water before you think about putting them in for the winter. Why cows? Uh, well, maybe it sounds silly, but I've been selling milk to the miners. <laughs> well, all right, just take your cattle around the hill there and water them in the creek. And come on back here yourself for a bite to eat. You look pretty tired. Oh, thanks. Won't take me more than 15 minutes. We'll be waiting for you. You know, it's all right to invite him in. Well, I saw the cows, so he's telling the truth about that. Yes, but that doesn't <laughs> Now, make Letty, anybody that sells milk instead of whiskey to the miners can't be a dangerous character. <laughs> well, I guess you're right, Charles. I'll get him something to eat. I'll get dressed first. You know, Letty, the more I think of anyone selling milk to the miners, the more I think of him. He's got a good head on him. <laughs> Later that night, Bert Perrin, with the enthusiasm of youth, confided in Charles Walgamut a certain plan. Maybe it's only a dream, Mr. Walgamut, but someday I'm going to make it come true. Dreams sometimes have a pretty good way of coming true, Perrin. If this one would. Well, here. You know that stretch of river that goes tearing its way through the canyon? Yeah. Well, when you look west down the river, you can see on both sides for more than 50 miles. Yeah, all sagebrush, desert country. That's just it, desert country. You see it now. But if my dream comes true, you won't. You'll see a fertile country that will bring farmers from all over the country to farm. Whoa there, Perrin. Now, how can you expect to turn 50 miles of desert into a fertile paradise? The age of miracles is past, you know. But there's always water. And water can work miracles in a desert. Water? Yes, sir. Water. Stored up in dams. Water to flow down into that desert country and take it back from nature. <laughs> For the next few years of his life, young Perrin learned everything he could about irrigation. On every side, he asked questions. He probed. He sought. He learned that in 1860, a few farmers diverted small streams into patches of desert and made it pay. Night and day he worked. He roamed the countryside, planning, dreaming. He was trying to turn his scheme into a vital reality. And on all sides, he found interest. Interest, but not the necessary capital. The undertaking was gigantic, and he heard many objections. Yeah, I think it's a fine idea, Mr. Perrin, but almost everybody here in Idaho is poor. We got no money for such a thing. Sure, sure, Mr. Perrin. Water is the salvation of this part of the country. Damn would do the trick. But to build them, you've got to have money. Bert, I don't think your plan will ever get beyond the blueprint stage. You've got the right idea, all right. But money, man, where can you get enough of it? Undaunted by failure to attract capital to his gigantic dream, Perrin worked his ranch. But he refused to give up his idea. Then, one day he learned that visiting Idaho from Salt Lake City were Sam Milner and Frank Knox. When Perrin learned they were bankers, he lost no time in outlining his scheme to them. Oh, there it is, gentlemen. I live with this idea night and day. Those sagebrush plains just have to belong to the people. Yeah, it sounds pretty fantastic, Perrin. Not fantastic, Mr. Knox. Just a little more than has ever been dreamed of before. No, Perrin, it's uh, impractical from a money standpoint. Just a minute, Knox. Go ahead, Perrin. Look, look, here's a map. Now, here's the place where the first stand should be. All this territory, more than 50 miles on both sides of the river, is just waiting to be settled. If you have water, you'll have farmers. If you have farmers, you'll have produce. Produce creates markets. 
Markets mean railroads. Yes, 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 of course. But you'd have to have the entire country which the dam is to influence surveyed. I know that, Mr. Knox. Uh Uh-huh. And your idea was that Mr. Knox and I should furnish the money for the preliminary surveys? That's it. And the next step would be to organize a company and raise the money to build the dam and canal. And the cost of that? Well, about... about one and a half million dollars. Uh... Uh, well, uh, good day, Mr. Perrin. Oh, but please. Uh, you think a million and a half in a wild scheme like... Well, we're sorry, but it's, it's a daydream. Oh, I see. Well, maybe someday somebody will wake up. Goodbye. Thanks. Well, there, Perrin. That was Mr. Knox speaking. I haven't said a word. It's Milner. What do you mean? Uh, Milner, are you crazy? You can't possibly see any good coming out of this scheme. Knox, a lot of people didn't see any good of people fighting their way out to Utah. Well, there aren't any more frontiers in Utah, but there are here in Idaho. Instead of Indians, we're going to fight a desert. You're not joking, Miss Milner. Young man... A man doesn't joke about opening his checkbook to the tune of enough money to survey that much territory. Eventful months swept on. Suddenly, the entire state was talking dams, canals, irrigation. But it was just talk. The months became years. And soon, Bert Perrin was no longer a young man. But his dream was still young. Then, even Sam Milner began to wonder... Ah, Bert, I wonder if we're not 25 years ahead of our time. Sam, you're not losing faith, are you? Well, it's no longer a matter of faith, Bert. I've always had that. But you know what Middleton said about the money. But he's just the first one. His word isn't gospel. Uh, Not gospel, Bert. But his word may reflect the word of the money crowd upon whom we've got to depend. Sam, I've dreamed of this for plenty of years. It's got to become a reality. There's got to be towns, farms, houses, railroads, where the sagebrush is now. Sam, I can see it. Well, I wish you could see the million and a half. That's got to come, too. Yes, we've got to have faith, I suppose. But I'm getting old, Bert. I, I don't know. I don't know. Sam, somehow, someway, I'm going to get that money. I'm going to show the people with the money that a dream isn't just made out of tinsel and air. I'm going to talk and talk until someone listens. Bert Perrin went to Chicago. In a valise, he carried $600,000 worth of bonds, which the Perrin-Milner Company issued, secured by farm contracts. He confronted hard-headed businessmen. His frankness, sincerity, made a deep impression upon those who listened to him. One day in the offices of Trowbridge and Never... I'll admit that all types of Western irrigation schemes have been failures up to now, and I think you should know the truth of it. Yes, Mr. Perrin, we know that well enough. We've gone into it pretty thoroughly. Your honesty is at times a little embarrassing, your frankness engaging. But in spite of all that, Trowbridge and Never would like to handle that bond issue. But the the entire 600000 Yes, the whole issue. You see, we're not buying just bonds... We're buying the honesty, the sincerity, the genius of Bert Perrin. Well, I had a lot of words ready to say. Words of thanks. I've been saving them for years. Now that the opportunity's come to use them, I can't. Never mind that. You've got a job ahead of you now. We know you can fill it because any man who's kept such a magnificent dream all these years... Has held on to it through thick and thin, through bitter years and discouragement, 
can fill any job. Mr. Perrin, you've got to go out and sell Idaho to the nation. Overjoyed, Perrin returned to Idaho. With all the pent-up emotion of years, he and Sam Milner watched. Watched machinery come in. Watched preparations for the building of the dam. And finally, one day... Hello, Mr. Perrin. Mr. Milner. Oh, Hi, Tom. Oh, Tom. I sent for you because I wanted you to keep three ships going 24 hours a day. We'll need every foot of floor space we can get. You bet, Mr. Perrin. And say, want to hear something? What is it? Know what they're going to call the first hotel in Twin Falls? <laughs> I'm no good at guessing, Tom. <laughs> well, it's going to be called the Perrin Hotel. And don't go asking me why. <laughs> Yesterday, Idaho could hardly feed herself. Today, she's confident. Tomorrow, her surplus will help feed the nation. Sam, it's going to be a mighty proud day for all of us when they let the first water out of the dam, when it flows into the canal, when it gives life to that desert. The Idaho Dam, Bert. No, Sam, not the Idaho Dam. The committee's already decided on the name. What difference does the name make? A lot in this case, Sam. They're going to give it a name it deserves, in honor of the man who saw the desert not as a barren waste, but as a green paradise. Sam, the Milner Dam will be a great thing. The great day dawned when the Milner Dam was to be dedicated. From far and near, they came for the opening of the great dam. Farmers whose lands were to be irrigated. Merchants whose livelihood depended upon the prosperity of the farmers. Men, women, children. The crowd stood waiting as a man was introduced to them. And now we turn these controls over to Mr. I.B. Perrin. The father of irrigation in Idaho. A man by whose faith, vision, and courage this Milner Dam is today made possible. The man we all know and love, Bert Perrin. At a time like this, words are futile. I can only say, well, that this is a great day for all of us, for Idaho. The minute this water goes down the spillways and into the canals, 50 miles of parched desert will drink the water to turn them into miles of green, fertile land. For you, through the spillways of Milner Dam, I give to America a new and conquered frontier. I.B. Perrin, the father of irrigation of Idaho, is indeed a pioneer. He fought no Indians, nor did any of the things we commonly associate with the pioneers of the West. But he did open a new frontier of 50 miles of desert, opened it to prosperity and happiness. Truly, he is a great frontier fighter. Frontier
Frontier Fighters, the triumphant march of those whose daring deeds of exploration and trail-breaking saved for posterity the glorious West. Among those who first saw the wonders of Yellowstone Park and tried to convince an unbelieving, scoffing world were John Coulter and the famous scout Jim Bridger. As our story opens, the year is 1849. To the editor of a leading Western newspaper and a group of hangers-on, Jim Bridger is saying... Bill, any man that'll print what I say about Yellowstone will go down in history. Well, Jim Bridger, I'll just sleep on some of that stuff you told me. Bridger, I'm a curious fella. What I'm about to say ain't no slur on your veracity. But do you expect a full-grown man to believe your fish story? It's gospel that I hooked a trout in the lake, swung it around, let it fall in a pool of boiling water, and cooked it right on the line. (laughs) I'm blaming you none for laughs. Seeing is believing. But even if some of you yokels did see, you wouldn't believe anyway. You ain't got no imagination. That's all wrong with you. Yes, you sir. ain't traveled like I have. Now, Jim, I've half a notion to believe what you say about waterfalls and geysers and petrified forests, but when it comes to that fish story... Well, that fish story ain't the biggest whopper old Jim's told us. No, sir. <laughs> Not by a long ways. It's about that Whole cliff of glass, so clear you can see clean through it. (laughs) And the one about fording that creek and the horse's hoofs haven't shrunk in size by the time he got to the shore. Oh, now, gents, I came here to give the editor of this newspaper a little historical fact. But I reckon you ain't ready for the truth yet. Well, I guess it's time for me to be hitting out for home. Guess I'd better not tell my old lady none of them biggins you told us, Jim. Because <laughs> she'd swear I'd imbibe too freely of fire wire. <laughs> oh, so all right, Jim. So long, Jim. Hey, Bridget, don't you think you'd better scale down some of these whoppers a little? Bill, no matter what I'd say about Yellowstone, wouldn't be gospel, even if I had my hand laid on a stack of Bibles. Now, Jim, I've known you for a long time. You made a name for yourself as a scout and a guide and interpreter among the Redmen. But, Jim, just as one friend to another, you uh, haven't had too much to drink, have you? (laughs) Bill, I'm as sober as a judge. No, don't let this worry you none. Well, I am worried. What if some of this tall talk gets around? Oh, it won't do no harm. Americans ain't serious. Nobody's going to run over to Wyoming to see if I'm telling the truth. <laughs> well, <laughs> goodbye, Bill. Goodbye, Jim. When you get back to Yellowstone, why don't you send me a little item I can use sometime without getting laughed out of the country? Poor Jim. That's too bad. He's young, too. For having his mind get a twist in it like that for telling whoppers. <laughs> Jim Bridger told the truth in a day and age when people were poorly traveled. Then came the years 1869, 70, and 71. And two decades after Jim Bridger had failed to convince his generation, Yellowstone was discovered again. And this time the world knew that in the heart of Wyoming, nature had placed the wonderland of the world. An ardent champion of Yellowstone was Dr. F.V. Hayden, 
who in 1870 explored the country with Captain Barlow of the United States Army. Thrilled with their discoveries, they were about to complete their tour when suddenly they came upon a miner's camp. Yeah, looks like some mighty rich digging there. Yeah, don't give a hoot about all them wonders of nature. Well, we got it all to ourselves. Once the word gets out about a gold strike, there'll be a rush. That's my word. Why, what are you men doing? Creepers told you if you found out his people just smell gold. That's a deal, mister. I'm Captain Ball of the United States Army. Well, all right, Captain. We'll be having some grub when the sun starts going down. You and your buddy can fall, too. Planning some extensive mining operations? Well, we're aiming to get what gold we can out of these hills. Of course, if there's going to be a boom, why, this whole territory will be torn up with mines and dumps. Captain Barlow, I guess our work is cut out for us. Ain't you putting on the feed bag with us? Oh, uh, thank you, no. Well, Captain Barlow, our report is completed. Desecrating these glories of nature for a few handfuls of gold. Mining camps, dumps, scarred and blackened mountainsides. We'll out with these miners if we can. Such glories as we have seen must be preserved for posterity. We'll head for the nation's capital and call on Congressman Claggett and the famous lecturer, Mr. Langford, at once. Mr. Hayden, Mr. Langford, I'm entirely in accord with your plan. But to get such a bill written that would save Yellowstone, get friends for it, lobby for it... Uh, Mr. Claggett... Yeah. Once such a bill as that which we propose is even rumored about, it will excite the warmest admiration. Hundreds of friends will rush to the defense <laughs> of it. <laughs> Dr. Hayden, you speak of Yellowstone as though it were a beautiful, defenseless woman about to be abducted by a band of marauding Indians. Well, the fate of Yellowstone would be worse than that. It's one thing to be abducted, another to be desecrated. Can you picture this wonderland of the West with scarred mountainsides swarming with men who have lost their love of nature in their greedy search for gold? <clears throat> you are very persuasive, too, Mr. Langford. I'm all for such a plan, but, you know, it's often years before you can arouse the country to the need of such legislation. But the Congress sits in Washington. We're in Washington. The theater of action is here. <laughs> It's all true, all true. But Congress is much more affected by what it hears outside of the hours of debate than during them. However, I'll start the ball rolling. I'll see the Secretary of the Interior tomorrow. Oh, wait, but... uh, Langford, I've just had a brainstorm. Another, Mr. Hayden? If Congress is affected by, by what it hears outside of uh, hours of debate, it shall hear plenty. Oh, and you have a plan of action for yourself, Dr. Hayden. Huh? Oh, no. For Mr. Langford. For me? Yes. You're one of the most famous lecturers in the country. From this moment on, you have a new theme. Yellowstone National Park. Well, Dr. Hayden, that's a very good piece of political strategy. At such short notice, I don't know what kind of bookings I can get, either on Lyceum or Redpath Circuit. You won't have to put foot out of Washington. Teas, luncheons, after dinner... Sunday salon. But what interest possible can women have in Yellowstone as a national park? Ah, women have a greater interest than you think, Mr. Langford. And anything that interests them interests their husbands. Be they representatives, senators, chief justices, or even presidents. <laughs> 
president. Mm-hmm. Langford, didn't you say you knew Mrs. Grant? Yes, but uh, it's purely a social contact. Well, it's too bad I don't know the wife of the chief executive that well. Yes, I know. But... I'm sure that Mrs. Grant would be most happy to have you speak at a White House salon. <clears throat> Informally, of course. But I couldn't possibly suggest that she speak to, to the... the president. You won't have to. You give the talk, introduce me to the first lady, and <laughs> I'll do the rest. Yes, yes, my dear, I know, but I can't possibly present a bill to Congress. That's the duty of congressmen. But Ulysses, you as president, when such a bill comes, can sign it. I've signed more than my share of bills this session. Besides, I doubt if it will even get to a committee this year. The bill to make Yellowstone a national park is being talked about by everyone. Including the wife of the president. (laughs) Well, I suppose if something is so ardently supported by you, it must have merit. Oh, I can think of nothing finer on the part of any president of the United States than to be remembered for having saved such a paradise to future generations. Well, you'll have me do something for posterity yet. <laughs> oh, Ulysses, all that any nation has is its natural resources, its, its scenic wonders. It becomes our duty to guard and treasure these things. Guard and treasure our natural resources. Hmm. That sounds like Congressman Cladgett. Why, it sounds like anyone, doesn't it, who loves America. You couldn't just by the smallest chance have invited Claggett to your salon. Why, I did invite Mr. Langford. And Dr. Hayden and Claggett came along with him. <laughs> Julia, the place to lobby is not in the living room of the White House. However, we'll see. We'll see. Oh, you Lizzie, it isn't that I want it for myself. It's for the country. For Wyoming. The people of this territory would be so proud. Julia, as soon as this bill is introduced and passes both houses... I'll sign such a bill and make it a law. An act to set apart a certain tract of land lying near the headwaters of the Yellowstone River as a public park. Be it enacted by the Senate and the House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress Assembly. At the tract of land... Approved March 1st, 1872... Signed by James G. Blaine, Speaker of the House, Skylar Colfax, Vice President of the United States. And so, through the discoveries of Jim Bridger, that grand old man of the trails, the patriotic idealism and the wonderful energy of Congressman Claggett, Dr. Hayden, and N.P. Langford, who can visit Wyoming today without realizing that in her vast embracing arms lies indeed one of the great scenic wonders of the world? Other lovers of nature and frontier fighters brought into the fold of government parks such famous natural wonders as Yosemite in California, Mount Rainier National Park in Washington, Grand Canyon National Park in Arizona. And so we bring to a close another episode in the lives of men who fought for an ideal and won.
what a what a terrific program you guys just put together. I'm so glad that lady at the historical society paid me twenty bucks to play all that crap. Oh, so we did make a little money. That does that mean we can leave now? I just spent that twenty dollars on the subway sandwich and a couple of those raspberry cheesecake cookies. So uh, I'm gonna need you guys to keep this train rolling, huh? Um, you're not gonna keep us locked in here for another week. But who's to say I can't? Hey, not so loud. You woke Mondo up. It's my God-given right to enslave people to make a profit. Don't you know that was in the Old Testament? I think you're disturbing Mondo. Hey, guys, me just woke up from a nap. Hey, me smell cookies. Does someone, do, do one of you have cookies? Those would be his uh, raspberry... I, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about, Mondo. He has the cookie. It's him. He has it. Wait, 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 wait. Is you holding out on Mondo? Do you have cookies? No, I... I would never lie to you, Mondo. You're like my own flesh and blood. In fact, I think of you uh, like my own son. But more like a stepson. Well, actually, I would say maybe a, a step-nephew, you know, from from my mother's side. And honestly, probably third cousin twice removed. Uh... Did you eat all the cookies without saving one for Mondo? Mondo, let's be reasonable. I did buy the cookies. They are mine, and they're pretty good. So I, I just don't think I have the cookie to give. Jake, if you want to uh, start walking over to the door, I think this might be our, our window of opportunity, so to speak. Might be our chance. Don't be too rough on him, Mondo. Uh, he didn't mean to eat all of the cookies. He just didn't want you to have any. That, that's all, probably. All right, see you just guys. Just because he doesn't like Mondo having cookies doesn't mean that you should take it out on him. If you want to hear more uh, yesterday today, you can find it on KISU.org or wherever you get your fine podcasts from. <sighs> All right, see ya. Goodbye. <sighs> Bye-bye. Mondo, listen to me. Mondo, Mondo, no, they're misrepresenting my words. It's like my ex-wife's divorce lawyer. Have I ever told you about that creep? Now there's somebody you'd want to beat up. Idaho, oh, Idaho. Haven't got a long way to go. Gonna get mighty noisy when I get into Boise, Idaho. When I go to Idaho, I'll be near to heaven, I know. When I see Pocatello, I'm gonna shout and bellow, Idaho, Idaho. Over hill, over prairie, my Cayuse will carry me back to that home of mine. Over mountain and valley, I won't dilly-dally until I'm across the line. Idaho, oh, Idaho, went away a long time ago. Skies will never be gray to a waddy on his way to Idaho, oh, Idaho.